Hello, story lovers. I'm Laurel McCarg. Stay tuned for Alligator Preserves episode number seven, Battle Dressed Breasts. Try to say that five times fast. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Welcome back, listeners. I wonder how many of you have ever been asked to share a story in which you were greatly embarrassed. I bet you have. Today's episode is about the day I nearly instigated an international incident in South Korea. It was uh, several decades ago, so you can't blame me for anything that might be going on now. I'll be reading excerpts from a story I first published in 2012 in a book called Not Your Mother's Book on Being a Woman, and I titled it battle-dressed breasts. Although army battle-dress uniform designers knew what they were doing when they were tasked to create the perfect camouflage for soldiers, they probably could not have anticipated an unlikely scenario that unfolded at a rest area on the other side of the world. And battle-dressed uniform, you've probably heard of the term, BDUs. My company was part of a team spirit exercise. It was 1989. Our journey from Fort Ord, California to Pusan, South Korea was exhausting. As company commander of the 301st Transportation Company, I was responsible for getting half my company and its equipment deployed for our three-month tour of support for the annual exercise. Now, picture, if you will... Bleary-eyed, greasy-faced, very tired, short-haired soldiers dressed in BDUs. I cannot remember how long we were cooped up on the buses before we hit the first rest stop, but the need to pee was ferocious, and I led the way to the ladies' room with three of my female soldiers. Now remember my first episode entitled Balls, where I pee by the side of the road. (laughs) Peeing in various places seems to be a theme in, in many of my stories you just might find. Anyway, after flying from California to Korea, we you could imagine the fatigue, the confusion, the excitement of being in a new country, along with the fear too, right? Back to what I wrote. We had barely made it inside the spacious bathroom when the attack began. Now, the the bus is pulled into this huge public restroom area, and I don't even know that we had time once we got off the airplane in Pusan before they loaded us onto the buses. Back to the attack in the bathroom. The sudden cacophony of high-pitched, disgruntled voices startled us all, yet we were unprepared for the physical assault that ensued. Tiny little hands, attached to tiny little old-as-dust Korean women, 
tugged and pulled at our sleeves in an attempt to drag us out of the bathroom. The situation was disturbing, especially since by then my eyes were about to turn yellow. There was no way I was leaving without relieving, and I knew that my soldiers were hurting as well. I being the commander at the time, I had three enlisted female soldiers with me, all looking about like I looked, pretty pretty ragged. (laughs) It took a moment before it dawned on me that these little old ladies, barely chest high to me, probably thought that we were in the wrong restroom. After all, we were covered capped, capped to boots in military field attire. An easy fix, I thought, removing my cap and attempting to talk with my adorable captor. And if you could imagine a really, really old woman, she was as she was cute in a shriveled apple face sort of way. <laughs> but no such luck. With barely a glance at my face, which by this time was likely as greasy and colorless as my conservatively cropped hair, and you'll remember in episode two when I talk about the army barbers and their proclivity toward butchering, our elderly assailants continued their struggle to drag us to the door, and my soldiers continued to look to me with desperation in their eyes. In a sudden moment of clarity, I knew what to do. It was time to bring out the big guns, so to speak. Not that I couldn't have overpowered my wizened little warrior and removed myself from her grasp, but I didn't want to be rude. I was, after all, an ambassador of sorts, and both the situation and the noise decibels had already escalated to a point that made me uncomfortable on multiple levels. No, I knew what to do. With one fancy foot maneuver, I positioned myself between my malcontent and the doorway, disengaging my sleeve ever so gently from her grasp, which, by the way, was quite tight. (laughs) And with my two hands now freed, I clasped them to my own camouflage-covered breasts, and as much as I could, under those bulky, buttoned-down pockets, shook them in her face, (laughs) which I have heretofore mentioned, was just about chest high to me. I mean, that's where her eye level was. (laughs) If only I had had a third hand holding a camera at that abrupt moment of comprehension. The eyebrows on that scrunched-up ancient face were suddenly lost in her hairline as this new reality dawned on her. The noise, which had moments before sounded like a girls-gone-wild bar brawl, now became, although no less loud, uproarious laughter. I had no idea what conversation passed between these little old ladies, and there were four of them, but suddenly they were like little children in a toy store, and we were the toys. The little hands that at first held us captive now boldly and unapologetically explored the G.I. Janes in their midst, turning us round and round while patting our not-so-camouflaged-anymore lady lumps. And oh, oh my goodness, seriously, they were, they were turning us around, laughing, chuckling at each other, feeling us. I mean, patting, patting us all over. My soldiers again looking at me like, what is going on here? 
Oh, my goodness. With the crisis thwarted, my soldiers and I had yet to accomplish our mission. So with universal cross-legged, belly-holding, gotta-pee sign language, we were finally released to relieve ourselves. A third hand would have come in handy for this endeavor, too, as the balance required to straddle the hole on the floor of the bathroom stall while ensuring that the ass of your BDU pants is pulled forward and away from the target zone would have made any trained gymnast proud. (laughs) It was a bathroom unlike I had seen anywhere in any of my travels. Uh, Just two little footprints on either side of a hole in the floor. It uh, made a lot of sense why most of the women we saw over there did not wear pants. So we, we came out of the, the stalls finally, and I, I waited till all my soldiers were, were finished. It took longer than, than it needed to be. <laughs> our still giggling new friends waited for the th- four of us to complete our task and resumed feeling us up as we made our way, this time happily, to the door. Upon stepping back into the sunlight together, we were startled to see the concerned crowd that had gathered outside during the course of our international incident. In no time, however, the laughter and chatter of those boisterous little women brought smiles to the throng. We ended up being able to board our bus and completing our our journey having learned quite a lesson that day, but really walking out there and there was a huge crowd of people and it looked like some of the men were about to enter the bathroom. I'm not sure what would have happened at at that point, but uh, we we were lucky. (laughs) When I tell the story, and I do tell it often, I generally act it out because it is, after all, a comedy, right? It's a, a comedy of errors and just the the visual of these teeny little ladies suddenly realizing that they were women dressed like men, I suppose, in, in their mind, in their bathroom, intruding, and then the reality that uh, we were like them in some ways. If you go to the story link on my website, you can see some of the photos and how I was dressed in the battle dress uniform, and you could pretty much understand what they were feeling at the time. One of the photos in the story is with my mother. My parents both visited me while I was there. The photo with my mother, when I look at it, it's like looking at myself. It's a little bit stunning and shocking. You know, again, that this happened 29 years ago. My mom and I were 30 years apart in age, and we used to laugh that we were twins separated by three decades. Um, my parents were amazing and incredibly supportive of me while I was in the Army. Uh, ex- once my mother got over the initial desire I, ex- I expressed to attend West Point, I remember stating it at dinner, and my father nearly choked on a steak, and mom's jaw just dropped, and she asked me a million questions. And I think her biggest concern was that maybe I'd never be able to have children and be be a wife. But uh, she, she got over it. And they would visit me everywhere my husband and I were stationed. And the fact that they came over to Korea, well, I was in Korea for three months, did a, so much to reduce the loneliness that you sometimes feel when you're in a place, regardless of how, how busy you are. You're in a completely foreign land, and my my two years of high school French and two years of 
West Point Spanish did nothing to let me understand any of the conversation that was going on in Korea. But they were amazing. The first time I visited them during the week that they were there, I was gone for about maybe maybe five hours. I was given a, a leave. And when I got back to our encampment, we had a tent city set up on a river. I arrived to chaos and it was, it was frightening until I saw some of my soldiers who were laughing while they were throwing duffel bags into the backs of the deuce and a half trucks we had over there. Someone either upriver or downriver, we set up our encampment on a river. Don't ask me why I, I was not at the higher level to make that kind of decision, but someone either opened a dam or, or or set up a dam downriver, and the whole tent city that my soldiers had created was flooded. Uh, they were ankle deep, and it was rising quickly. The Porta Johns were floating. We had to completely evacuate, and then at some point, I again, it, it, this happened at higher levels than mine. Some at some point, they worked it out with the. Uh, government. And we went back to setting up the tent city just where we had initially to support our mission. I also remember the South Korean soldiers staring at me every time I was around them. Um, My hair was cropped, as I've mentioned before, but I inherited, I think from my mother's side, peach fuzz hair on my face. A lot of it, like a lot of peach fuzz hair on my face. And this was this was something that many, many, many years later, one of my sisters introduced me to a little trimming wand that I've used ever since. But back then I had a very hairy face and they wanted to feel it. <laughs> um, I had a decision to make and I decided that since I was a captain in the army, no, I wasn't going to let them feel my face. The old ladies did enough feeling up of me, but... Uh, Every time I was around them, they would stare and smile. So I, I felt like that was a good thing. I have no idea what they were saying behind my back. I'm, I'm, I think I'm glad I, I didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> oh my goodness. We had a couple days off while, uh, in the course of the three months we were there and you could purchase things and get clothing and shoes made for a song or, in my case, for a feel. <laughs> I decided that in addition to some of the more formal outfits that I had made and beautiful shoes, I had some absolutely wonderful, gorgeous leather shoes made in different styles and, and colors. I decided I would go home with a black leather jacket and short skirt. Uh, someone, I, I don't know if it was one of my soldiers, convinced me that I needed to get a pink leather bustier to go with the outfit. You know, this is back in the Madonna era. And uh, we're we're talking screaming pink. (laughs) So the tailors there had me come back, oh, I don't know, three, four, I think it was maybe on the fifth time they had me come back for a fitting for that bustier. I decided that they were incapable of accommodating the reality of of my battle-dressed breasts. <laughs> I think I might have 
tried to wear that whole outfit a couple times, but it just it just never really fit right. They could they could never get the cups, shall we say, to uh, to fit right. <laughs> I made them small too, though, so I guess that's one thing. So no, it wasn't so much an international incident as I spread some goodwill while I was there. That's how I'm going to look at it. <laughs> so that's my story about almost starting an international incident in Korea. I wonder what you would have done. Try to put yourself in my, in my black leather boots at the time. Uh, you're in a completely different land. And if you haven't traveled yet, just try to imagine, I don't know, going anywhere, going anywhere and having someone stare at you and misunderstand you. And you need to try to find a way to make the situation come out happily without incident, or at least with an incident you could use for storytelling later on. I'd like to hear some of your stories, if you have any sim- similar to mine or or ones that you'd just like to share. I would really love to hear them. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends about it. I would love your comments, your stories, anything you want to share. I'll be happy to respond. You can find my show notes with links and photos on my website at leadvillaurel.com. And join me next time when you will meet best-selling author Sherry Ficklin. Until then, choose your preserves wisely. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>